Get ready to rumble. Chilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Chilling. Welcome to the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Pedro Gonzalez, a senior fellow at American Principles Project Foundation, on an astounding new report, The Transgender Leviathan. And Pedro, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. Would you tell us what prompted this report and a little bit about the methodology because it's very well documented? What prompted the report was really just curiosity. I was wondering to myself, and I think most of us are wondering, why there seems to be such a drive to normalize transgenderism and in particular transgenderism as it pertains to children. And I actually wrote a piece maybe two years ago uh, for the New York Post. This was at the time that most conservative critiques were understandably focusing on the ideology. We can snap our fingers and men can just become women and vice versa, things like that. And really focusing more on on the, the ideological aspect of transgenderism, which I think is, again, understandable and I talk about this too in my report. That's certainly one part of it. What occurred to me was there has to be money behind this, right? Like people have to be making a pretty penny on transgenderism because the surgeries have to cost something. The drugs have to cost something. I imagine that this is before I did any of like the, the heavy lifting research. These people have to be like lifetime uh, medical customers, right? Because of the hormones and things like that. Like basically once you decide to transition, you become like a cash cow. That was my in- instinct. So I, I did some digging and I looked into the money part of it, or what I call interest. And sure enough, I found you know enough to write an article in the New York Post. And then that that seemed to actually kind of generate a lot of discussion uh, because I'll, at the time, not many people were really thinking about the problem in that way. That yes, this is, this is there, there are ideologues who believe in these things truly, but also there's money being made here. And that article in the New York Post uh, became the basis for, for this report. That, that's when I was approached and asked, like, would you, would you want to take that article that you wrote and basically write a much, much longer, more in-depth report? I'd like to provide some background here, and you certainly do this well in your report, Pedro, but let's talk about the numbers because they're pretty astounding as far as the number of people and particularly young people, younger generations that are identifying as transgender compared to just a few years ago. What does that look like? An exponential growth in the number of children who identify as trans. And the growth is, it's happened so quickly that it's it's just difficult to, to think that this is organic, right? Not that long ago, dysphoria among adults or gender dysphoria, which is the, the, the clinical term for confusion about your gender, was occurring at a rate of like 2 to 14 in 100,000. 
a more recent study uh, by the American Academy of Pediatrics suggests that the rate of transgender identification among among youth, among young people, maybe as high as nine in 100. It's important to note that although there are more young people, uh, a disturbing amount of young people who identify or claim to experience confusion about their gender, it's still true that many of these instances will self-resolve. And that is to say that given enough time, those kids will grow up and they will, uh, they will basically just identify with whatever they were born as, right? But the problem, and I talk about this in my report, is that once a child starts to undergo the, the transition sequence, which begins with the suppression of puberty, the likelihood that they go from suppressing puberty to medical intervention, which is anything from castration to mastectomies, uh, that, the likelihood that that happens increases dramatically. I always use the, the term conversion therapy because that's the term that, they, that the left will use against people like us, right? We, yes. we support conversion therapy. No, actually, you do. And it, it, empirically, this stuff is conversion therapy. And that's why it's so dangerous. And it's happening everywhere. I, I, in my report, I note that the top five states with the greatest number of youth that uh, I self-identify as, as a gender dysphoric, it's California, New York, Texas, Florida, and Illinois. It's everywhere. You can't run from it by moving to a red state. It's just going to follow you there. You start out the report uh, with patient zero, the John Joan case. This is so disturbing. Uh, perhaps you could provide some background on this and tell us a little bit about Dr. John Money, who initiated all of this. John Money founded the Gender Identity Clinic at Johns Hopkins University in 1966. He became famous initially for his work with patients who were born with, with both sex organs or hermaphrodites, he was really out to prove a general theory about, about humans. And so Muddy asserted that the primary factors behind psychosoci- uh, psychosexual differentiation are environmental rather than biological, which is to say that nurture, not necessarily nature, determines one's identity in regard to their body. And so that was really the, the elemental drive of, of money, is basically proving this, right? And it's funny because he had said that it would be totally unethical to, to take someone who's born with a completely normal set of sex organs and, and nervous system and then turn them into something else. At a conference, he said, it'd be totally unethical to do that. Unless nature kind of afforded us uh, an opportunity to do this as a result of some kind of an accident, uh, in, in which case that would be the only circumstances where something, a radical experiment like this would be okay. Sure enough, that, that's what happened. Around that time in the, in the 60s, there was a little boy uh, named David Reamer whose penis was badly damaged during a botched circumcision. Reamer's parents had heard about money because money was a very, very good promoter and marketer. He was very good at using the media to promote his ideas. When he opened his gender clinic at Johns Hopkins, which was considered, that was, that was still, uh, you know, these were better times. That was this, this stuff like sex change and things like that was still considered taboo and controversial back then. And so money knew that if he went to the New York times and gave them an exclusive statement about the clinic, that one, the New York Times was going to be friendly to him, 
And two, because of the paper's prestige, its report uh, based on his statement was going to set the tone for the rest of the media, and it worked. So Money was very, very shrewd at using the media to, to promulgate his ideas. So the, the family comes to him because they've heard about him in the media and, and the, the work that he's doing with uh, people that are born with you know, unusual uh, sex conditions. In their desperation, they ask him, can you turn our boy into a girl so that he can have a normal life and, and basically construct rudimentary female genitalia for him? And can we raise him as a girl, basically? I know this sounds insane right now uh, because of where we are, but the, the family was actually... Once they met Money and they talked to him, they, they told him, we need time to think because, you know, as desperate as we are for our child to have somewhat of a normal life, uh, this is this is radical. So we need time to think about it. Money ended up badgering them and telling them, like, you're procrastinating. Uh, we need to do this now. You, you kind of like, you need me. I don't need you. And, and the family ultimately went along. Very similar to today, right? I mean, that's what you hear. You need to transition your kids. Why? Because you're putting them in danger. If you don't do this now, if you don't immediately start the transition sequence, your child is going to become suicidal, and that's on you. So it's very, very similar approach by the, the ideologues to this problem. That's why the money case is so interesting, because you see everything uh, back then. So they do it. At 22 months old, uh, John Money subjects David Reamer to surgery and, and uh, gives him a rudimentary set of uh, uh, female genitals. I mean, it's, it's, it's really gross. I mean, I, I go into in detail about it, but it's, it's just ridiculous, right? Um, this, this whole idea that you can, you know, take a man and just turn him into a woman and, and give him sex organs. It's just ridiculous. Uh, but, but they do it. And the most radical part of this experiment is the fact that David Reamer is not told that he's a, that he's a girl. He's given the name Brenda. And he, as part of the experiment, he's raised as a girl. And he, he doesn't know that he's a boy until he's 15. One really gruesome part of this experiment that I, I go into detail about, Money believed that for uh, Brenda to really take to being a girl, Brenda would have to basically imitate sexual interactions as a girl. At the time, Brenda is six. Because Reamer included both of the boys in this experiment. Uh, David Reamer's brother was named Brian. So he takes the two, six, they're both boys, so he takes the two six-year-old boys, Brian and Brenda, and he has them simulate sexual acts because he thinks that that's important for them to, uh, for Brenda to, to kind of adopt the female gender schema. That, that's the term that he would use. So he has Brenda lay on her back and has her brother Brian lay on top of him and, and basically simulate having sex. He also uh, has them do this on his couch where Brenda gets on her knees and then Brian comes up behind Brenda and he photographs this. Brian, Brian Reamer told a journalist when this stuff all came out that in some cases money was photographing like Polaroid of what they were doing. And, but you know, it's all, it was all for science, right? So right. It's totally fine and not unusual at all. Long story short, the, the John Jones case, as it was called to protect the identities of, of the Reamer brothers who were involved in it, uh, was a complete failure. Brenda never took to being a girl. Her adolescence was miserable, always depressed, always getting into fights. Ironically, Brenda ended up being the stronger of the two. So Brenda was bullying uh, uh, his brother. But basically, Brenda was miserable. And then at 15, finally, Brenda discovered the truth. You're a boy. Uh, he took the name David because he identified with the biblical figure. Uh, David Reamer felt like he was up against Goliath 
and, and from, from the beginning of his life, which is, I mean, it's true. And so he took the name David. His life was really difficult. He, he got married. He, he tried to, he adopted kids. He tried to have a normal life, but he really struggled. He struggled with trauma um, as an adult. And in the end, he ended up committing suicide. He, he shot himself in the head with a sawed-off shotgun. Uh, and that was just a few years after his brother Brian overdosed in antidepressants and died as well. And of course, there's you know there was this attempt by the media to kind of argue, well, there was different things like there was financial troubles and stuff like that. It's like no, it's pretty obvious why these two brothers struggled with depression and suicidal thoughts their entire lives. Like let's not kid ourselves here. It was it was directly a result of this experiment. And money went to the grave arguing that like all of the criticisms against me are conservative plots. Uh, it, it's anti-LGBT bigotry. The, he marketed the, the experiment as a success. It was reported as such by the New York Times uh, Review of Books. It was documented as such in textbooks ranging from sociology to endocrinology. That study or the experiment became kind of a, a, of a milestone in this, this broader idea that basically we can just kind of change gender, uh, change gender the way that you would, you know, flip a light switch. So that, that's why I argue that, that David Reamer was patient zero. And, and, and then all the other aspects, like the complicity of the medical establishment, John Money, the complicity of the media in promoting these ideas that were extremely dangerous and radical. And also the fact that John Money was getting funded, funding by the federal government throughout his life to, to perform research. Uh, so, so, I mean, this is what I tell people, like, there is no opting out. Like, John Money, the, the guy that did this experiment, got a lot of money from the National Institutes of Health to conduct research in this field. Uh, so he was getting paid with your dollars to do this stuff. So you don't get, you don't get to opt out. So they're doing it with your money. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast continues. Our guest is Pedro Gonzalez. Get your fix online at shillingshow.com. Borderhawk.news is a one-stop shop with the latest news about immigration, nationalism, and globalism. The Borderhawk staff daily curates immigration news stories and in the fashion of the Drudge Report, updates the site with cutting-edge content and original first-class commentary. Borderhawk.news highlights national and international media reports, tweets and nuggets buried in local news blurbs, polls, video clips, and policy research. Borderhawk is pro-legal immigration, pro-rule of law, but against an unsecure border as countless Americans have suffered violence at the hands of criminal illegal aliens. And an increasing number of Americans are concerned about how mass migration affects their daily life. Borderhawk.news will remain on the forefront of the immigration issue with a buffet of info to read, evaluate, and share. Bookmark Borderhawk.news. Add them on social media at News on Twitter. Chilling Show Unleashed podcast. We continue with Pedro Gonzalez, the transgender Leviathan. What an awful start to this whole conversation to relive what happened in that case. And I want to come into today and take a look at the involvement of several areas where we would think people would be looking out for children instead of looking to dismember or to disfigure them. The involvement of big medicine. And you talked earlier about money. Let's talk specifics, how much these things cost when we're talking about surgeries and drugs and how much this is driving the process. It, it's very, very difficult to get an exact number because in, in some cases, like with regard to the, the drugs, 
these drugs are used like Lupron, which is the one of the most common, it's like the top two most common uh, drugs that's used in the, the transition sequence with uh, suppressing puberty. Uh, like Lupron is used for other things like treating precocious puberty and other like, treating symptoms uh, related to, to, to certain types of cancer. It's being used as a puberty suppressor in transgenderism uh, without FDA approval. Not that that really means, not that the FDA is you know, the last word on what is and is not right or wrong, but um, basically it's extremely difficult to figure out you know, what slice of this pie for Lupron can you attribute specifically to little kids using it as part of the whole, I'm gonna become you know, a boy or a girl now or whatever. I tried really hard to, to kind of figure that out because it's not, it's not out there. Like it's not like if you go to AbbVie, which is the manufacturer of Lupron, they're going to have like a, a nice little pie chart that tells you like, here's how much money we make from cancer patients. Here's how much money we make from precocious puberty, which is early onset of puberty. And here's how much we make from kids that are transitioning. Um, it's, it's not out there. You, you really have to dig. And so what I did was I looked at doctors that are taking money from companies that are affiliated with these drugs. And that information is available. You, you can see who is getting paid specifically to talk about, I mean, this is, this is pretty crazy, right? Like you think this would be a raging conflict of interest. It's pretty normal. You can actually see that there are certain doctors who are being paid to talk about and promote in, like, in conferences and things like that, certain drugs a couple of these doctors I think would do it for free. Mm. <laughs> like they, they would believe in this stuff. You know, you wouldn't have to pay them in other words to push this stuff. Uh, once you start saying that we're going to start paying people to push these things, but broadly speaking, the sex reassignment surgery market is, is valued. It's estimated to reach into uh, about 1.5 to 2 billion in the next two years. I mean, it's pretty crazy to think about that, right? We have a sex reassignment surgery market, and that market is already reaching into the billions. Something that kind of illustrates the connection, like how all of this stuff works in, in a kind of really messed up synergistic way, is a recent story. So in January, the Biden administration announced support for medical intervention for minors to change their gender, and it did so by citing research from the Trevor Project. This is a nonprofit that focuses on transgender activism. Now, I looked at IRS records, and I found that the Abbey Foundation, which is a project of the biopharmaceutical company Abbey that manufactures Lupron, donated $50,000 to the Trevor Project. So basically, the White House cited a study produced by a nonprofit which received thousands of dollars from companies that make drugs and medical products used in gender transition uh, in, in the, the gender transition process to argue in support of puberty blockers, hormone therapy, and sex reassignment surgeries for children. And that's really the problem in a nutshell. As we look at all of this, I have to wonder what's happened to the medical professionals, the medical associations. There was a time when common sense ruled, when the Hippocratic Oath was respected. So are these people under a mass delusion? Because what they're doing and what they're recommending is harmful for the lifetime of these children. I think it's a mixture. There are people that would do this for free. I think that's like, let's not kid ourselves here. There are people that you wouldn't have to pay and they would promote this stuff and believe in this stuff. But I certainly think there's an ideological aspect to this. 
you can see this in, in the way that some of these doctors talk about transition therapy. There's one doctor named Joshua Safer, who I've mentioned in my reports. Safer goes around the country and talks about how basically we all need to be uh, less bigoted and we just need to accept that trans people are people that are entitled to human rights just like the rest of us. I mean, it's such a ridiculous argument, right? Like no, no one is saying that uh, people who are trans are, are, are like subhuman or something like that. It's just it's absurd. And I think Safer is a good example. So in my research, I, I found that Safer has received money in connection to traveling and speaking about another drug called Superlin LA. This is like Lupron. This is one of the top drugs that's used in the, the puberty suppression sequence. It's much more expensive typically because it's delivered beneath the skin by a device that's implanted and the device is really pricey. And Safer has received money uh, to talk about this drug. Uh, he runs the, the Sinai Center for Transgender Medicine um, and Surgery in New York. But again, I think Safer is someone who you wouldn't have to pay him to do this stuff. Uh, he's, he's the president of the, uh, it's called the, the WPATH, so U- United States Professional Association for Transgender Health. Uh, it's a, excuse me, it's an affiliate of, of WPATH, which is the World uh, Professional Association for Transgender Health. Safer, at a conference uh, a few years ago, I, I talked about this, this fairly recently, basically like condemns everyone who, who disagrees with, you know, slamming the accelerator on transgenderism, especially as it pertains to children, and, and basically argued that there should be no guardrails in, in this whole process. And by guardrails, I mean, typically, if you want to transition, uh, you have to you have to see a psychologist, right? Like you have, you have to get kind of uh, a consultation. Maybe the thing that would make you feel better is not cutting off the genitals and and pumping yourself with drugs, but maybe just talking about your problems, right? Like I'm being a little bit sarcastic here, but it's it's just ridiculous if you think about it. You know, like we need to immediately fill you with these drugs and and have you undergo surgery for your own mental health. Like. It, well, Safer thinks that that's not funny, uh, and and that actually the idea that someone has to seek kind of mental health consultation before they undergo uh, transition is what he calls the gatekeeper model. It's very odious, and he basically thinks that the patient should be able to bypass any kind of initial step that would require them to have uh, a mental health consultation because it's tantamount to torturing trans people. That's the phrase that he used. But Safer and a, a lot of the other doctors who are affiliated with both US PATH and WPATH in a survey that was conducted between 2016 and 2018. It, it was a survey that was con- conducted among all the doctors who are part of uh, US PATH and WPATH, the, the surgeons. And the majority of them said that while they would not support the idea of, of you having to get a consultation for your mental health before you transition, they would support basically a, a consultation before you detransition. So they actually believe in the gatekeeper model. They just believe that the gatekeeper should lock you into transitioning. And when you want to detransition, that's when you need to talk to a mental health person to, to make sure that you're thinking straight, you know, that your head's on right. And so I think people like Safer, they are ideologues. Like they really, truly do believe in this stuff. They wouldn't need to take a dollar to do it. And I think the U.S. path is is really kind of like, if you want to look at the, the true believers and the extreme people, uh, you need to pay attention to organizations like WPATH and U.S. path. And another woman who I talk about in my report, her name is uh, Joanna Olson-Kennedy. She's a physician who authored a study 
funded with your dollars from an NIH grant. And she argued in that study that minors as young as 13 uh, should be able to get mastectomies. Wow. Uh, during a U.S. PATH conference in 2017, she said that while it's not her first choice, you know, because she's merciful, um, she has no qualms about getting the courts involved to transition a kid when the parents are being, she said, recalcitrant. And she said, I've done this a few times. You know, it's not my first call. But basically, if we're dealing with parents who don't want to go along with this process and transition their kids, then, yeah, we're, we're working with social workers and working with courts. And we are basically developing the machinery to forcibly transition kids. And this sounds crazy. She was recorded saying this at a conference. You know, she doubles down on it. If you, if you call her on it, she'll be like, yeah, of course, because I care about children's uh, health and safety. Um, but these people believe in these things so much that they would quite literally take your children away if they could. Pedro, let's talk about where we go from here. And in particular, is there any governor or state who is on the right path that other states should be emulating? Yeah, I think Florida has done um, a lot of good work. I'm, if, you, if you follow my work outside of this, uh, you know that I'm not I'm, I'm no politician's uh, cheerleader. <laughs> But I, but I really like DeSantis um, in, in the sense that I, I really like what he's been doing with this. I'll, I'll give you another example. I, I think Greg Abbott in Texas, this is my take on Greg Abbott. You may, not, you may like it, you may not, but I basically I think that he does a lot of things just for show, yes. like the declaration of an invasion. And if you actually look at the, like the nitty gritty of what he's doing, it's like you basically just declared this an invasion, but you're not actually using all the tools that are available to you to actually treat it as such. So it seems to me like a lot of the things Abbott does is just like for show. It's just an attempt to, to, to make himself popular and get reelected. But like I've reported on the border crisis um, because I'm, I'm a border hawk and I have found that Abbott is actually not doing a great job. Uh, and, and most people like including national guardsmen down on the border are just, you know, they're also really frustrated with this because, you know, from what they're hearing from, from Abbott is that, there's an invasion and that it, we're, we're taking on illegal immigration and whatever, but it, the reality is much different and much disappointing. DeSantis, I think at least with transgenderism has actually taken some really good steps. Obviously we're all familiar with the, the parental rights and education law that prohibits classroom instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity uh, to young children. But it's, the language is so broad that people have argued that it could be construed to apply to other, to basically older um, parts of, of the, the K-12 program, which I think, is, I think is good, obviously. I think it should. I mean, it, I actually agree with Tulsi Gabbard when she said that it doesn't go far enough. Yeah. You know, like liberal media was saying, oh, it's the don't say gay bill. And then people like Tulsi Gabbard and myself were saying, like, this actually does not go far enough. Like, mm -hmm. It's a good start, but it doesn't go far enough. And another example of, of how I think we need to be really serious about this was there, there was a a restaurant in, in Florida that hosted a drag queen kind of like strip show for kids. Yes. And it, the way that it's sold is like, I think it's like drag queen brunch. And basically I think that the, the drag queen thing and transgenderism go hand in hand because I mean, that's basic culture matters, right? That is a child's basically kind of interacting with this culture of gender confusion. And, and I think once a child is subjected to those things, it stands to reason that they're going to be more open. And well, on the one hand, they're going to be exposed to things that they, a child should not be exposed to. Like a kid has no business being around 
a strip show, period, right? That right. it's a transgender strip show makes it even worse. So kids shouldn't be around that, around that to begin with. But then obviously there's these, there's these questions about, about sex and gender that, that a child is basically exposed to, which I think makes it kind of like a cultural gateway to this whole thing. But in response to the drag queen brunch that was specifically marketed to children, uh, DeSantis des- declared that that establishment's beverage license was going to be placed under review. And I reported on this um, when it's not clear, you know, what has happened since then, because this, this is maybe in the last like six months or so. But there was the last development was that the establishment was at risk of losing its beverage license because it was basically a, a public nuisance. Uh, specifically because of these drag brunches. So in other words, the government of Florida appears willing to shut down an establishment that is promoting this stuff to kids. And I completely support that. This is a much smaller example of his big fight with Disney because Disney was promoting this stuff in its programming. And, and not just that, but it was actually Disney was kind of being directly involved in Florida politics portraying the, the parental rights and education law as bigoted. So DeSantis responds by basically hitting Disney where it hurts, which is in its, uh, in its special taxes and uh, privileges that it gets in the state, right? And, and basically, I think that that's the kind of approach that we need to have, a, a willingness to use political power to take on the institutions, whether it's you know an eatery uh, that's, that's having drag queen brunch for kids, or it's a mega corporation like Disney that's trying to basically stick its hand in politics to, to push these ideas. We've barely scratched the surface and the transgender Leviathan is a report that everybody should be reading. Pedro Gonzalez, would you tell us if people want to get this report or if they want to follow you on social media online, how they can do that? So you can read it for free and download it at the American principles project.org. They've done a really good job of putting it together it's not short. It's about 10,000 words, uh, but it still is actually just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's, there's, there's so much in this thing. There are so many names and institutions. There's Republicans, there's Democrats. I mean, that's why I chose the name Leviathan, because of the, the biblical creature that is, is just uh, immense and, and actually difficult to, to see the full size of it because it's lurking beneath the surface. Um, but you can go there and download it. Please do. I, I put a lot of work in it and I, I wrote it specifically as a kind of overview for people that are not really familiar with the subject, but they kind of just know that there's something wrong. Um, I wrote this for you. And if you want to follow me, I'm, I'm on social media everywhere under the same handle, which is Emeriticus, E-M-E-R-I-T-I-C-U-S. It's a terrific report. And I appreciate you putting it out there. Pedro Gonzalez, thanks for joining us today on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thank you. That concludes another edition of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time. <music>